I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter, and welcome to episode 130-130, in which I give a long overdue update, and I am recording this episode on Sunday, August 25th. Um, I want to start out by saying welcome to any new listeners who might just be joining me. I've heard from a couple of you through Facebook or through email that you're just uh, starting in with the podcast, which means you've got 129 episodes you can catch up with. So thank you so much and welcome. I'm glad you have decided to join the pack. I also want to say thank you and welcome to all of those of you who have been around for a while and still stick with me anyway. I really, really appreciate that you're listening and that you're still listening. I also want to say thank you for a few new reviews that I've seen on iTunes lately. So thanks for all of that. Thanks for being here. Um, I'm really hoping this episode goes better than the last one I tried to record. I did actually have an episode uh, all recorded, all rendered, all set up, ready to go, was just about to upload it um, to publish it when I decided, you know, I probably should listen to it one more time. I clearly wasn't ready <laughs> to, to do an episode yet. I recorded it just I think just a couple of days after I'd gotten home um, from all my work travel. And you know what? If it bores me, I'm figuring it's going to bore you. So I, I canned that episode and intended, fully intended to get back to recording within a couple of days of that one. And just, you know, life happened. So I'll talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes. But I first off really want to start out with a very, very important announcement. We have another challenge. This is your official announcement of the launch of the 2013 Band Book Challenge. And this is a challenge co-hosted by Tanisha of Crafty Garden Mom Podcast and myself. If you have not yet checked out Crafty Garden Mom Podcast and Tanisha, you have to. This is my rule. You have to. You have to go give it a listen. I love Tanisha's podcast. I've always really enjoyed it. And Tanisha, in her professional non-quilty life, um, works in the world of publishing. And so Band Book Week is kind of a big deal for her um, and everything she believes in. And, and last year, uh, she and I were tweeting back and forth during Band Book Week and decided just on kind of a whim that we were going to um, do something and, and have a challenge that year. And we did. And a few people joined in. But, you know, it was kind of unfair. We really gave you almost no, well, no notice whatsoever because it all came up during Band Books Week. Um, so this year we planned ahead. We've actually been talking about this a little bit since last May. Um, really pulled things together in the last couple of weeks when I was actually back. <laughs> so we have some stuff going on. So to let you know, Band Book Week, sorry, Band Books Week, it is a plural books, is September 22nd to 28th. And for our challenge, you are challenged to create a small wall quilt that somehow represents a book from the banned or challenged book list that you have read and particularly loved or found meaningful or otherwise want to celebrate. How you choose to represent the book is completely up to you. It could be a scene from the book, it could be words from the book, or just represents the book in some way. Uh, do please be aware that book cover images and illustrations in books are copyrighted art, so you would need permission from the pub publisher or the original artist to depict those images exactly. You can, of course, however, use them as inspiration for your own work or just go rogue <laughs> and do your own thing completely based on the, the book itself. We will be setting up a Flickr group and posting links to that Flickr group. We don't have it set up quite yet, but it will be shortly. And as of September 22nd, especially, that's when the challenge officially begins, um, you can post your quilts to Flickr group and we will be then, uh, Tanisha and I will highlight them in blog posts on each of our blogs through that week, through September 22nd to 28th. And yes, we are going to have giveaways, but I'm not letting any cats out of those bags at this stage. You know, really, since you're just doing this on a Flickr group, you can kind of do whatever you want. I do have some guidelines set up that I'm using for my guild, and I'll explain in a minute. Um, yes, I'm also running this for my guild. Um, 
for our guild, if you're really looking for some specifications, if you'd like to have some guidelines to go by, quilt projects may be no larger than 16 inch square. You can use any type of quilt techniques that you enjoy, any surface embellishments, should you so choose. Um, and in their case, they can use a sleeve if they like, but um, that, that probably doesn't even matter to you. Um, we do ask that you include an artist statement with your quilt with, at minimum, the following information. The title and author of the book represented, your name of course, the date you um, completed the quilt, and why you choose to represent that particular book. For example, why it was meaningful to you, memories you might have around reading the book, and so forth. Um, please post your artist statement to Flickr as well, or you can, of course, um, write a blog entry about it and then post the picture in Flickr and just uh, use the link to your blog entry for all of that information. So again, we want to see pictures of your quilts for this challenge, but we also want to hear the story behind the quilt. So make sure you include that information when you post your quilt to the Flickr group. So again, Band Books Week is September 22nd to 28th. We will have a Flickr group for that. You will be able to find the link on both Tanisha and my blogs or show notes to our podcast or both um, by September 22nd. And again, if you want uh, any sort of guidelines for my guild, we are doing them no larger than 16 inch square and any type of quilt techniques that are enjoyed. The, the main key thing is that it somehow represents a book that you found meaningful that appears on a banned or challenged book list and um, that you include your information, your artist statement with your quilt when you post it. Now, I did mention again, my guild is doing the same challenge and we have made arrangements with our local library to display our quilts during banned books week. They're really, really excited about it. There's been um, some communication back and forth. And of course, I think if you've listened to my podcast for a long time, you do know that one of the guild members, one of the members in my guild, um, Kate, is a librarian at our local library. So she is actually co-hosting the challenge with me for my guild. And she's been the one that's been coordinating with the library what's going on. So we do have, that's part of why we went with the 16 inch square size. We thought that was big enough to actually do something with. 12 inch, 14 inches, kind of small, kind of tight. Um, not that you can't do it, you certainly could, but 16 inches, big enough that we can actually kind of do something, but it's not so big that we're going to have problems hanging them at the library. <laughs> so that was the rationale behind that size. It really, since you're just posting a picture to Flickr, if you want to do an all-out bed quilt, feel free. Go right ahead. Um, but for the rest of us, you know, if you want to just keep it small and manageable, 16-inch square is sort of our recommended size. Uh, for my guild, um, that means we have some different deadlines for it because we need to actually get them hung at the library. Uh, what I want to do is really encourage you to also ask at your local library or anywhere else that you know does books and might have an opinion about Banned Books Week that they might want to, um, as, you know, our nonviolent protest, <laughs> to say, hey, we'd love to hang some quilts too. Find out whether you could display your quilt somewhere. And if so, if you do actually get to display it somewhere, be sure that you also take a picture of it on display and post a picture of that to the Flickr group as well, because we'd all really be interested in... Um, seeing that too. All right, so that's the banned book challenge. There will be more information coming out. We've, we're still kind of putting together um, the, the links and all that kind of stuff. That'll be on our blogs, on our show notes uh, fairly soon. You'll, you'll get it. But meanwhile, you can just look up banned books week, Google that, and you'll find information too. I'm very excited about this. I already kind of know what I think I want to do. I just have to actually sit down and do it. Okay, so Sandy Life Update, where have I been? Um, as you, again, may recall, if you've been listening for a while, I was gone quite a bit of the summer for work. I got home um, August hmm, 5th, I think it was. My husband had flown out to meet me on August 1st. My work events officially ended August 1st. My husband flew out to meet me. Um, we were in Arizona. We went up to Sedona for a few days. And then we both flew home then on August 2nd. And when I got, I'm sorry, August 5th. When I got home, of course, I was still kind of resting up and had then at that point jet lag. Um, and I had to do my introvert recovery thing as, as well for a few days because even tweeting or podcasting feels like too much social life. 
<laughs> when I've just come back from a work time. I need, you know, a while to regroup. Um, like I said, I did record an episode in there, but it really was not, not good. I was not going to inflict that on you. So um, then life happened. Um, I was still recovering from jet lag and then I went back to work and getting through work kind of took everything I had in me as well as the fact that then I suddenly realized the graduation gift quilt that I had been planning on making for several months suddenly was due in like a week. We were having the graduation party in a week, so I really had to finish it. Um, And I blogged about that, so I'm not going to talk about that here. I did get it done, mostly, (laughs) but I did make my final, final deadline on that. But that was really, you know, every moment I had that I was actually awake and that I was not working... Um, for a paycheck, I had to be working on that quilt. So that kind of took me away from things for a little while. Um, But I figured you guys of anybody would forgive me for not putting out a quilty podcast because I was quilting. Um, And then the third that happened is once I got that done and was kind of ready to get my life back in order again and, and, you know, actually (laughs) have a life, um, my husband's two brothers came in from out of town for a week. They were here just this whole last week. Um, And we had family events every night. And I often didn't know until 10 minutes before I was supposed to be somewhere that I was supposed to be somewhere and what I was supposed to be doing and, you know, how I was supposed to be dressed and all that kind of stuff. Um, That's kind of life when they come in from out of town. It's just a whirlwind and stuff doesn't get really planned ahead. Um, But I try to just clear my calendar and make myself as available as possible. So we really were out every night and most of yesterday as well for kind of the last hoo-ha family event. Um, One brother actually left again on Friday. The other brother is leaving this morning. Uh, So at this point, you know, things can kind of now really start settling down into a routine. I'm actually recording this morning because my son's at work. Um, My daughter is watching basically marathon-style mystery diners on the couch. Um, She is really trying to fend off a cold. She's not feeling great at all, and she has to move back on campus tomorrow. So she's just kind of laying low. She's getting her laundry done. She does have to pack at some point today because she really wants to be on the road first thing um, tomorrow. So we'll see if she makes it first thing or not. But she's, you know, she's kind of out of the the loop. And then my husband's out, quote unquote, running errands, which is a euphemism for the fact that he's out buying my birthday present because my 48th birthday is tomorrow. Um, I'm actually not all that worried about uh, turning 48 You know, age doesn't really get to me. The only thing that gets to me is the changes my body is quite clearly going through. Um, It takes me a whole lot longer to lose weight now. I have to be a little bit more careful about my exercise schedule that I don't overdo it too fast and cause injury. You know, these kinds of things that just happen when you chronologically age. However, as the cliche goes, aging is better than not aging. (laughs) because you know what happens when we stop aging. So, um, you know, I'm okay with turning 48. My father-in-law shares the same day. We both have the same birthday, exactly 30 years apart. So tonight we are actually going out for just one more family event, a family dinner, but this will be quieter, um, mostly because my daughter leaving for college tomorrow, so it's kind of her send-off dinner, and it'll just be my husband, myself, my two kids, and then my in-laws, my father and mother-in-law. And my daughter has chosen Pizzeria Uno, I believe. So I'm really trying to be careful about what I eat all day because, you know, tonight is Pizzeria Uno. But anyway, so that's, um, today is a kind of a quiet day. And as soon as I'm done recording this podcast and getting it ready and posted this time, I actually get to sew. But more about that in a minute. Um, A Fitbit, mm, not so much these last couple of weeks, especially the last three days, because I started getting, you know, notices that it was low on charge. So I stuck it on the charger and it stayed there for three days. (laughs) So it's it's really charged now. Um, I did finally get back to the gym this morning. I I had gone to the gym a couple times right after I got home uh, from work, but then or from my trips. But then with trying, still fighting jet lag and trying, you know, going back to work at the same time and then having all the mayhem, family mayhem with uh, family events every night, I I haven't been to the gym in a week. I did go swimming and we have a pool in our backyard and I did laps a couple of different times, but it's just been off. So um, I've completely, almost completely fell off the leaderboard, I think, (laughs) 
on Fitbit. I'm now back to it. I did my low and slow routine this morning. I did 60 minutes on the elliptical, but I am very carefully keeping my heart rate down to give my body a little bit of time to remember what it actually feels like to exercise. So kind of getting back into the routine this week. So that feels good. I do want to say kudos to several others who have been going great guns on Fitbit. We actually have a nice little community going. There's, I don't know, I've kind of lost track. I think there's maybe 10 or 12 of us now that are all in communication with each other on Fitbit and Twitter. Um, Although not everybody in our Fitbit group is on Twitter and not everybody that is doing QHC, Quilter's Health Check on Twitter has a Fitbit. So, you know, there's not, it's not completely a one-to-one connection, but it's very much similar groups. Um, And so it's been fun to kind of cheer each other on and razz each other on occasion and that sort of thing. Although, you know, razzing is always done with love and humor. So it's not like you have to worry about being traumatized (laughs) if you join us on Fitbit. Um, I do want to give a special shout out, though, to Terry with a J. Um, She has been a really incredible encourager and coach. And I don't mean coach in terms of her giving fitness advice or anything. But Terry stays very active on our community board, the one that we call Quilt Bits, and I really always appreciate and love what she has to say. Terry with a J, thank you so much. You have really been a tremendous support, and I personally really appreciate that. Um, And, you know, she's a real inspiration in terms of the level of activity she has as well. So thank you, Terry with a J. Um, Really appreciate your support and your presence on Fitbit. Um, and for everybody else, even, you know, if, if you don't run out and go buy a Fitbit, that's fine. But on Twitter, we do have QHC, hashtag QHC, Quilters Health Check. And we, um, we hashtag QHC if we maybe cook something that's healthy and maybe we want to share a recipe that's healthy or we do get our exercise or we just say, hey, today, you know what? Mentally, I needed a break. And so mentally, I was a slug today. And that's okay. Sometimes you can do that. And sometimes you need to do that. Um, So, you know, it's just anything that attends to our health and our wholeness as people in general is hashtag QHC on Twitter. So I'd invite you to join along with that as well. Um, Quick update on Sedona. That's where I was on vacation. Gorgeous. (laughs) It was really, really pretty. And, you know, I'm not enticed to move there because where I live is really, really pretty too. And it has its gorgeous times of year. It's just uh, Sedona is completely other than where I live. You know, I live in humid, (laughs) snowy, cool western New York, and Sedona is everything but that. Um, It was, we took a couple of hikes while we were there. Boy, I was way up on the um, Fitbit leaderboard while I was out in Sedona, because we were hiking for several hours at a time. Um, They're really, really pretty. Uh, Very much appreciated that. I did post pictures from my hikes on my blog or in Flickr or both. I don't really remember now where they were. So if you're curious, make sure you go there and look. Um, On the way back, we spent, we we had to go home back to Phoenix, um, which is where we started because our flight on Tuesday was super, super early. So we drove back on Monday from Sedona and stayed in a hotel in Phoenix right near the airport overnight. But on the way back, we went to Prescott because I'd heard or read a lot about it being this wonderful, quaint kind of Western town that had maintained a lot of its identity. Um, You know, it was okay. I, I have to say, honestly, living where I do, where a lot of the buildings are from the 1800s. I mean, I live in an old part of the country. So the the history for me was it it actually as a town it looked an awful lot like a lot of towns where I grew up so for that it didn't really strike me that much um we did eat at a a nice restaurant there was a cool bar there oh and I'm sorry I did not write down the name of it but it's where they've actually used it to film some films um for you know from the western historical time and it was very pretty it was a cool place we didn't end up eating lunch there we had eaten lunch already when we found the place and we were kind of bummed because we would have liked to eat there um we did go to a museum it's named the charlotte hall museum charlotte s-h-a-r-l-o-t which was done very very well um i have to say i was actually surprised for such a small town it had this really very nicely done museum, had several buildings as a part of it, and we learned a lot of local history, um, which was pretty cool. The thing that really stuck out to me, though, of course, from the Charlotte Hall Museum was they happened to be having a demonstration. Uh, There was this big banner on the outside of the building that said, quilting demonstration in process. So, of course, I had to, you know, go in. 
And it turned out not to be quilters there that day, but it was spinners. So, and we were the only ones in the building. I think when we first came in, there was a couple there, but they left as soon as I sat down to start talking and asking questions. Um, and my husband, he was a trooper. He just wandered around. I think it was actually the transportation museum. So he was actually looking at all of the, you can tell, I'm, I'm not even sure what else was in the building because I, <laughs> I was just fully focused on the spinners. Um, and there was, you know, an empty chair in their circle. They were inviting people to sit down and talk with them. So I actually probably spent 10 minutes just talking with them about spinning process, about um, sourcing the the raw material for spinning, and of course about dyeing. Um, several of them, a couple of them in this uh, spinning guild did dye their own yarns and they had some right there. They did actually use Kool-Aid dye. I heard so much about Kool-Aid dye uh, this year. Um, and again, I will uh, talk a little bit more about that in a minute, where else I heard about it. Um, but the, it was beautiful colors. They had really done a nice job. And I loved looking at the texture. Now, again, I'm not a knitter. I really don't have any interest in knitting, but I do love yarns. Uh, I love y interesting yarns. Uh, you know, the, the skeins of acrylic yarn that you see at Joann's and stuff don't do a whole lot for me. Um, but the, the natural ones, the ones that have hand spun, hand dyed, and they've got all these wild textural variations and color variations, those are seriously cool stuff. Um, and in fact, as you can tell from the excitement in my voice, perhaps I could actually feel myself while I was at the spinning demonstration starting to think, you know, spinning might be kind of meditative and therapeutic. <laughs> it might be kind of something cool to do. And then I, you know, immediately made myself think, Sandy, you really don't need any more equipment in your house. <laughs> you really kind of need to be done with this. And I was also thinking about Nitty AJ of the Quilting Pot podcast, who has done some spinning and has talked about it a little bit here and there. Um, you know, kind of thinking could be cool. Uh, one of the women spinners there was using dog hair and, in fact, golden retriever. And I, I found that out because as they were talking and I said, yeah, I've been kind of, you know, thinking about it a little bit. It's kind of cool stuff. And I said, I've actually read about people who use their dog hair. And I said, I've got a golden retriever. And man, if I could do something good with the hair that ends up all over my floor. And one of the women said, oh, you've got to see this then. And she held up a skein of yarn that she had done using golden retriever hair. And so I was able to actually look at it and feel it and, and see kind of how that turned out. It was pretty cool. It was really pretty cool. And she said it was really, really warm and very nearly waterproof. She had made a scarf for a friend of hers that past year out of um, Samoyed hair. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but if you don't, it's S-A-M-O-Y-E-D. Look up the type of dog. Um, it's a cold weather climate dog. And so she had made a scarf for her friend out of that hair. And she said her friend wore it all winter, said it was the warmest thing she'd ever had. It resisted. It was kind of water repellent because that's what these dogs are, you know, bred to be. Water repellent. <laughs> okay. Furry and water repellent. But anyway, it was really cool. You know, like I said, I'd read about that on blogs. I'd seen it um, on online, but I'd never actually gotten to touch and feel what it was. And she showed me, I'm trying to remember what she was planning on doing with this yarn. I think it was actually, she's going to knit a little stuffed golden retriever dog, <laughs> which would just be stinking adorable. So anyway, that was kind of cool. Um, and I was thinking, you know what, maybe I wouldn't mind so much having a sheddy dog <laughs> if I was doing something useful with his hair. On the other hand, I have to admit, I'm kind of grossed out by shed hair. When it's floating along the, the floor and I'm trying to sweep it up, it kind of sends shivers up my back. I don't know what it is. I love petting my dog as long as the hair is on him. <laughs> but once the hair is off of it, it kind of makes me clench my teeth a little bit. I don't quite know what that is. Um, anyway, back to the spinning demonstration. Uh, they were also carding. One of the women was carding some wool roving as she was doing it. Um, well, I think it was wool. It might have been cotton because they were also working with raw cotton. and But she was carding other colors into the whatever it was, wool or cotton, before she was spinning it. And that was a really neat effect, too. Um, and another woman was spinning two different colors together on her spinner. And that was really wonderful. So it was just really cool. I loved seeing that demonstration. That was probably a highlight um, of my of my trip uh, to Sedona. I will be um, posting those pictures to the blog eventually. I just haven't gotten to it yet. I've been trying to catch up on some other quilt projects, which I've also been posting to the blog. So I will 
um, I make you this promise. I will make a note to myself to get those pictures posted sometime this week. Speaking of spinning, it is now appropriate for me to segue into a shout out to another listener, Steffi from Germany. Um, Steffi, again, if you've been listening to the podcast for a few years, you know that Stephanie now has a tradition, not Stephanie, sorry, Steffi has a tradition that I so appreciate. I always say before I go out of town on my two week long work trip every summer, how much I want people to talk to me to remind me a little bit of quilty goodness while I'm, you know, enmeshed in work. And every year she has sent me a picture a day while I'm gone. And it's gotten to be such a thing that there's actually a a woman that I've roomed with now a couple of years running and a couple of other people actually now come up to me and say, hey, is your friend going to send pictures again this year? (laughs) And I was like, oh, I don't know if I, and immediately I started getting the pictures from Steffi. So thank you so much, Steffi. That really is wonderful. I so look forward to getting those pictures. I don't delete them off my device. I go back and I look look at them again later. Um, I really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much for taking the time for doing that. Um, this time she focused on hand dyeing stuff because that's what I've been talking about. She's been doing some hand dyeing too, um, particularly with yarn, and she has also been hand dyeing with Kool Aid. So in fact, that's where I was first kind of seeing pictures and hearing her talk about her process. And she she sent me pictures of works in progress so I could kind of see each step of it. Um, that was really, you know, again, I'd heard about dyeing with Kool-Aid. I've certainly been in the presence of teenagers dyeing their hair with Kool-Aid. Not my own, thank God, but <laughs> other kids on retreats, they would come on, you know, I I used to do a lot of youth ministry in churches before I had the job I have, and we'd have youth retreats, and next thing I know at midnight, there'd be a gaggle of girls in a bathroom dyeing their hair with Kool-Aid, and I'd be like, oh, please, I am so going to get letters from your parents. You know, could you, don't, don't do that under my watch. Do it at home when you've got permission. Um, so I've seen it happen and I've seen the results, but um, I had seen some stuff with Kool-Aid, but I hadn't really, you know, looked into it that closely. And so Steffi started sending me these pictures of what she was doing and it, it was gorgeous. There was this really, really pretty results of her dyeing yarn with Kool-Aid. And in fact, she talked about, she is now starting to work with raw material from sheep. She didn't say where she, I, maybe she did. I'm sorry, Steffi, maybe you did tell me where you got the sheep, not the sheep, the the wool <laughs> from the sheep. I'm sure you don't walk around and say, give me that sheep and take it home with you. Um, but where you get the wool from the sheep. But she is spinning her own yarn. She's hand dyeing it. And the dyes with Kool-Aid were really very pretty. So then when I go from seeing her pictures to then seeing the spinning demonstration, and they're once again talking about dyeing with Kool-Aid, I'm thinking, okay, there is something to be said for that. I don't know about dyeing fabric for Kool-Aid. I just don't feel like it would actually be that color fast. I feel like it would wash out after a few times. So if any of you have dyed fabric, cotton fabric, with Kool-Aid and have any way of testifying to how color fast it actually is and light fast it is, I'd be really curious to know that because, you know, frankly, there's some cool colors of Kool-Aid. On the other hand, then it has to make you think, what is that doing to your insides? (laughs) If you're drinking Kool-Aid and we're using the stuff to dye things permanently. Oh, you know, I can see the autopsy now. Boy, this is an attractive shade of purple. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry. Apparently I'm still a little punchy from all of my summer. So again, thank you so much to Steffi. Um, back to Sedona. I did go to the quilters store. That was sort of like the big quilt shop in Sedona. Everybody said, oh, you've got to go see this. It's it apparently used to have a big, or not a big, I shouldn't say that. It used to have a gallery attached to the store with a display of art quilts. Well, I had researched the store before I even left, and I knew that the gallery was now closed. It no longer has the art quilt gallery attached to it. But on the website, it implied that a lot of those quilts were now displayed in the store itself. So I thought, well, it would still be nice to go see you know, whatever quilts they do have displayed. And then because they had this emphasis, I thought maybe they would actually carry more um, art quilt supply kinds of things. If this was something that they sort of did, maybe then they would source it, um, so to speak. So I really wanted to try to find the store. And again, my husband was a trooper. Um, I don't drag him to a lot of quilt shops, but once in a while when we're on vacation, usually what we try to do (laughs) is find one that might be near like a sports bar where he can sit and have a beer while I'm over at the quilt shop. Um, But this one, it wasn't really near anything that he could just 
drop me off and go back. And I, I rarely take that long at a quilt shop anyway, unless I'm looking specifically for something for a project. I like to kind of go in, scope it out. And when I'm traveling, I look at, is there something that would be a nice souvenir, you know, from this? Um, especially now, because I am hand dyeing, I'm not really buying that much commercial fabric. So going to a quilt shop, you know, and seeing the commercial fabric, it's nice fabric, but it's nothing I really feel the need to bring home with me. I have to say the quilter store, it's it's very nice quilt shop as quilt shops go. Um, if I lived near there, I could see it would probably be my go-to quilt shop. She had a, a very nice um, set of batiks, had a nice um, variation, a variety, variety in the types of quilt, uh, fabric they sold. Um, however, it was a little bit disappointing to me because there was not an art quilt to be found. None of the that I could tell the the quilts hanging in the quilt shop were all samplers for their classes or their kits, which again, that's nothing wrong with it. That's what quilt shops do. It's just not what I'd been led to believe this quilt store would have. Um, I think probably what's going on is the owner had a big sign in the um, store, and I think it's on the website now as well, that she's retiring. So the store is up for sale. So I think she's just downsizing, you know, what she's doing. Um, and just making it kind of a standard quilt shop. So, you know, whatever it was in the past, it, it doesn't seem to be that currently, but it is up for sale. So if anybody wants to own a quilt shop, it's a great location. Um, very nice building, very nice shop. The staff was wonderful. You know, the people that I talked to while I was there were very nice. Um, it did not have much in the way of art quilt supplies. There was kind of like one display of a few things. So I did pick up a couple things. Now, partly I also couldn't buy much because my suitcase was already really, really full. Being away for two weeks, you can't leave yourself a whole lot of room. And I had already actually shipped some stuff home. Um, but I didn't want to buy anything that was going to add any weight or take up a lot of space. So I bought like one little thing of foil to use for foiling quilts and um, like one little bag of embellishments um, that kind of struck me as sort of Sedona colors, because at that point I already knew I was going to try to hand dye some Sedona colors. So I bought myself some embellishments that might go with that. Um, and then I bought, the only fabric I bought was a half yard of a local designer. Her name's Mary Fisher. Um, she is a fabric designer and she is local to the Sedona Phoenix area. And her fabric was very, very pretty. But just again, because I'm not buying that much commercial fabric at the moment, I didn't want to buy, you know, enough to make like a whole quilt and a bunch of coordinates. So I just bought one piece that said to me, Southwest, without being like super Southwest either, because that's not my style here at home. So I didn't want to buy something that then I would be like, okay, well, where am I going to hang that? I bought something that it's, it's a cool kind of abstract design that looks sort of, um, it has sort of a little bit of that Native American sort of Pueblo feel to it, but it's not drastically so. Uh, and I thought it might be something that would go with some hand dyes, you know, if I can get the, the right kind of color scheme that I'm trying to for the Sedona series. So anyway, that was the only fabric I actually bought. Um, but I would say, you know, if, for people buying commercial fabrics, which most of you are, do check out Mary Fisher. Mary Fisher, F-I-S-H-E-R, because um, she did have very, very pretty designs. Very nice stuff. Um, and we went on the Grand Canyon Railway up to the Grand Canyon, and that was just, you know, kind of um, campy fun. It was a lot of fun. Enjoyed that, too. So that was my trip. What have I been up to since I've been home? As I've already made reference to, I have um, immediately came home and worked on dyeing some fabrics, trying to get the colors that I was seeing in the Red Rocks in Sedona. I do not want to look up you know, colors. I don't want to buy a dye that's just straight up that color. I don't want to look up other people's recipes. I really want to try to achieve this myself because it's part of the learning process. If I just use other people's, oh, you know, if you use so much of this color and so much of this color, you're going to get this color. I don't learn as much from doing that. I've really got to get in there hands on and mess around myself. So I did dye some some fabrics, none of them came out to be anything like what I was looking for. They came out very pretty. There's nothing wrong with the fabrics. Um, certainly, they are things I will use. And a couple of colors I came up with, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm going to remember that one because it's a gorgeous color that I will want to recreate again in the future. Um, but I didn't come up with the colors I wanted to. Interestingly, then I did some ice dyeing. And uh, by the way, the Sedona series, that's a blog post. There's more, there's pictures and a little bit more information about how I went about doing it on my blog. 
several days ago now. That was a couple of weeks ago. I also then decided I wanted to try some ice dyeing again. And I wrote a whole blog post about that. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time doing um, talking about that. I talked about my process and how I, I did it and then posted a, a second one with the pictures of the results. Um, so here's what's interesting is part of the problem with ice dyeing is I've been doing it out in my backyard over the summer. Um, and the issue you have is with your powdered dye, which is what I use a straight up powdered dye. Um, it tends to blow around a bit. And especially in my backyard, um, I don't call my house Windy Hill for nothing. <laughs> we just, it can be as still as, you know, if, if there were water here, it could be calm as ice. Um, and we would still have a breeze on our hill, if not a gale-forced wind. Something about the way our house is actually situated on the top of the rise that it's on, we just get wind all the time. Um, so I, I chose as still a day as I could get, and I tried to make sure nothing was kind of near each other, you know, while I'm sprinkling this dye. And of course, I still get some dye powders uh, blowing onto where I didn't expect it to go. Out of that, I ended up with a happy accident. Um, one, there's one little spot on one of my pieces of fabric that's almost exactly the Sedona color I was going for. So I'm, I've, fortunately, I had taken pictures of all of the um, ice bins or the bins of ice with dye on them in order. So I know exactly which color drifted onto the other one. And so I'm now going to use that and work on doing another Sedona series using that set of colors together, which is not a color combination that I had initially had had occurred to me in terms of going for the particular color I was going for. So that was one of those, you know, happy accidents. I can't be sad that I got a spot of a bizarre color in the middle of this whole other color scheme because, hey, it might lead me to what I was looking for. Um, I did get a comment asking me what I'm actually going to do with these fabrics. And I just want to say, I might have talked about this in a previous episode, but for me, the point is not what I'm going to do with the fabrics. The point is making the fabrics themselves. The whole process of hand dyeing, the whole process about um, learning about color and about the serendipity versus the control, you know, trying to come up with a, a special result, but being okay with whatever does happen, even if it's not what I expected to happen. That's the point. The point is the process. Whether or not I do anything with these fabrics is really a bit incidental at this point. I will probably use them in art quilts later on. Um, or, you know, to, to hand dye more, do more surface embellishments or whatever. It's not like these fabrics are just getting thrown out. They are still here. They're still very much live. They're still very much part of the process. Um, but I'm not worrying about what I'm going to do with anything now. Right now, it's all about the process of creating color and texture. And in fact, as I've been thinking a lot about this this summer, and I've talked to my husband about this, is I could really see myself just... I mean, not just becoming, I will always be a quilter. I will always make quilts, but I could see myself becoming a hand dyer and creating hand dyed fabrics that then I sell for other people to do something with, because it really is the process um, that I love. So that's what I'm doing with these fabrics, learning, enjoying, processing. Um, and what happens with them later is kind of beyond the point at this point. Um Another quilt project I did do that I referenced earlier in this episode doing, um, having a graduation gift, I did a stack and slash technique. If you're not familiar with it, look it up. It's the best fast quilt technique ever. <laughs> I have done several stack and slash quilts over the last few years, um, when, especially when I needed kind of a, a fast project to do. It's, it's kind of ends up, it, well, it does end up looking like a crazy quilt, um, and then you can do a lot of things with it from there. I've used it as a border technique. I've used it with sashing, without sashing. You know, there's a, a wide variety of things you can do with it. Um, you can create a stack and slash um, block and then turn it into fabric. In other words, cut it up to use as units for other projects you might do. Um, so it's a fun technique to use. And did a whole blog post about it, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that here. Uh, the only highlight I have for it is that I did do the machine, um, the binding by totally by machine, this is probably the fourth quilt, I think, that I've done over the last few years entirely by machine. And I actually, I'm getting the hang of it now. It does take some figuring out how to do it. Um, but once you do kind of get the hang of it, it's actually pretty simple. I am still having some problems 
with my corners, which is interesting because when I do my bindings the traditional way, I don't have any problems with corners. I'm not quite sure what I'm not reversing in my head <laughs> doing it by machine. Um, I appreciate Diane um, at DDR who has been helping me. Uh, she emailed me some tips for the way she she does a lot of machine binding on her quilts. Um, and I think what it comes down to is I did recently, well, maybe six, seven, eight quilts ago, change a little bit of the technique of how I approach the corners on my quilts. And I think I'm going to go back to my former approach when I'm doing it by machine and see if it works better. It could be that something I'm able to do by hand, I just can't ease in the same way or whatever by machine. All of this is probably very confusing if you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Sorry. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, you'll see pictures of that again on the blog post. Um, and once I kind of figure out, I'm probably going to do my next two quilts also with machine binding because they are both baby quilts. And doing your binding completely by machine just gives you a really, really sturdy binding. And that's always good for a baby quilt. Um, so if I can figure out what I'm doing wrong and can figure out how to fix it, then I will certainly talk about that in an upcoming blog post. Um, so yes, that leads us into what I'm working on now is a baby quilt. Um, this one I have designed in EQ7, but I'm, I'm just using, it's Jacob's Ladder and or Road to California. It's a block that kind of goes by a couple of different names, and there's a lot of variations on the block, um, but it's a, it's a wonderful block. I have fallen in love with it this year. This is kind of Jacob's Ladder block. is sort of my block of the year um, because it's one of these blocks that you can arrange it a bunch of different ways and come up with completely different looking quilts. So that's what I really enjoy about it. Um, so I'm doing one baby quilt using that Jacob's Ladder block, and that's the one I'm starting on now because that young woman is due at the end of September, so I'm trying to get hers done. I don't know if I'm going to be able to post pictures on my blog about that one because um, until after the recipient has gotten it, whenever that is, in the next month, um, because her her stepmother, my sister, does read my blog. And although my sister knows I'm making this quilt because I've had some communication with her about color um, schemes and that sort of thing, you know, I'm kind of thinking I might want to actually keep the finished product under wraps until her daughter gets it and she's able to see it in person. So I'm, I may not post pictures of that one um, right off the bat. The other baby quilt I certainly could post because as far as I know, that niece nor that sister um, read my blog. <laughs> so I could probably post that one as I start working on it, but I'm not going to be doing that one for a, a little bit. Um, and that one is a pattern from a book that I'm just adapting in size. I'm just making it smaller. Uh, so I will give all that information once I start working on that one. I am also doing a mystery quilt for my guild, one of our guild members, Charlotte, who I have interviewed for this podcast. We call her the scrap quilt queen in our guild. She, We talked her into this first time she's ever done it, a mystery quilt. Um, so she's given us cutting instructions, and I'm a little bit behind. I was hoping to have everything cut by the end of the summer. I, I'm running out of time to have it cut by the end of the summer, but I can still have it cut. I don't think she's officially launching the sewing directions until maybe October or November, or maybe we even decided to not launch it until after Christmas. I don't really remember the timing. There was a lot of conversation about timing. I don't remember where it landed, but anyway, I'm trying to get all the pieces cut. It is going to be full out scrap quilt in her mind, the scrappier, the better. Um, and fortunately she did also, um, because we've done a lot of strip exchanges in our guild, so a lot of us have a bunch of two and a half inch strips, she has very intentionally used two and a half inch squares as part of it. So that's what I'm, I'm using a lot of my strips to just slice them up into squares. So that'll be good. So I've got to get back to just as I go, you know, when I'm cutting for another project, cut a few for that project, that kind of thing. And at the same time, I'm kind of poking away at, yes, a Jacob's Ladder scrap quilt that I really want to do um, based on Kimberly Einmo's Craftsy class. That's really what kind of got me started on this. Um, she has a class, I think it's called Magical Jelly Rolls or something like that. I've talked about it in past episodes or just go on to Craftsy and look for Kimberly Einmo. It's one of the classes she has. Um, and it's basically scrap quilts based on pre-cuts, based on the sizes that you have in your jelly rolls and layer cakes and that kind of thing. And one of the blocks she uses is Jacob's Ladder, and that's where it really first kind of struck me. I've known the Jacob's Ladder block, of course, for years, but when I saw her working with it, I was kind of like, oh, you know what? That's a really cool block, and I want to do it. So I'm at the point of just here and there, again, cutting scraps for that. Um, 
I kind of decided I wanted to do that just because I wanted to do it. And then um, while we were out of town, while my husband and I were on vacation, he actually said to me, you know what, I'd really like you to make a quilt for our bed. Now, that's the first time he's ever said that. Um, he's he's always liked my quilts, but it's the first time he's actually specifically requested a quilt. And I was like, well, yeah, I just haven't done it yet because we've got a queen-size bed. <laughs> and not only that, we have one of those queen-size beds with a really, really tall mattress, so this quilt would have to be huge. And, you know, as you know, if you've listened to this for a while, I don't like working that big. But, um, you know, he asked me for it. I'm like, well, you know, I've actually been kind of thinking I want to do this Jacob's Ladder scrap quilt. And my husband is kind of a traditionalist. The quilts I've made that he's liked the best are the traditional blocks and especially scrappy. He seems to really like the scrappy. So I think that's what I'm going to work on doing this Jacob's Ladder scrap quilt for now. Um, and doing it full out scrappy means I actually don't really have to worry about the color scheme in our room, which our, our bedroom is brown and then our master bathroom is blue. So we did the whole kind of brown and blue color scheme with the two of them speaking to each other, you know, through the door. <laughs> Okay, that came out really weird, but I think you know what I'm talking about <laughs> in terms of colors. You know, one room speaks to another color-wise. Um, but in any case, I think if I just do full-out scrappy, I don't have to worry about that anymore because full-out scrappy kind of goes with anything. So that's kind of what I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to work on that, but that's going to be kind of a long-term project that I do as, you know, I'm, I'm kind of put it in between other projects. Um and then I just have a whole lot of catch-up to do for Guild and my design study group. I am so far behind <laughs> in both of them. I got nothing done this summer. So for my design study group, I have to do a project in neutrals and a project in monochromatics. And those are supposed to be done by Tuesday. <laughs> Ain't going to happen. Um, but I have actually been hand-dyeing with those projects kind of in mind. So I'm, I think if nothing else, I can at least bring some fabrics to my design study group on Tuesday and say, okay, here's what I'm thinking for the neutrals. Here's what I'm thinking for the monochromatics. Um, I, the paper pieced blocks, you'll, you've seen, again, if you follow the blog, I have posted, but not for probably five months now, about the paper pieced blocks I'm doing for our ongoing paper piece project for the Guild. Um, I have another block that I'm doing that I need to do for another uh, quilt we're working on, although we did just push off the deadline on that one. Um, it was originally going to be due in October, and I think we just pushed it maybe till after Christmas. That is something that's eventually going to be a donation quilt from our guild to our local hospice house. So I need to get working on that. And then, of course, the band book challenge. That one is really a very close deadline. I need to get working on that and um, just catching up on some cutting of strips and things like that for other exchanges we've had in the guild and the mystery quilt and i'm getting tired just hearing all of these things <laughs> that i really need to catch up on but the nice thing is i don't travel again for a while so um and now we don't have family coming in from out of town so my weekends are back to being my weekend so i should be able to make some progress on some stuff um i do have my post-it notes on the side of my cutting table i think i talked in a previous episode about my organizational system um they're still there and there's things I just need to finish. So yes, by the way, Sandy, I am still working on the Project Hope online quilt show. Um, <laughs> I should have really finished it for a welcome home from Hawaii gift for Sandy. And Sandy is of Quilt Cabana Corner podcast. If you're a rank newbie to my podcast, um, go back and listen. This was something we were co-hosted last spring and the deadline was in June. Um, and we, did, we had a Flickr group and everything. You will find links to all of that back in spring blogs on either Sandy of Quilt Cabana Corner podcast or my blog. All right, listener feedback. I've got some. A um, bunch of people comment multiple times, but I'm just pulling your name once. I want to say thank you to Shelly, Rose, Diane with one N, Jackie, Terry with a J, Eileen, Kati, Lori from my guild, who told me she was inspired to make her own stack and slash after seeing mine at our show, at show and tell at our guild meeting um, last month. And she got hers done like in a day or something like that. Like I said, it's a very, very fast technique. Um, thank you to, I can never pronounce your name. You've got to email me and tell me how to pronounce this. Uh, B-J-O Liz. Beth and Connie and Margaret, who I'm beginning to be a little bit frightened because she sounded like she was going to sneak into my house at the dead of night and steal some of my hand dyes because she does landscape. So... I better make sure I've got my doors dead bolted. Uh, my sister, Diane, with two ends, who used to live in Tucson, so she knows the colors of those red rocks out there very well. She was able to confirm my thoughts about the results of my Sedona series hand dyes, so thank you 
for that feedback. Uh, thank you to Lori with an AU and to Kelly the Fifth. Nice to hear from you again. Carol, who admitted she would have certainly whined at me until I gave her some of my hand eyes in reference to something I said about guild members who I had to watch carefully that they didn't stick one particular of my hand eyes in their purses and walk out. Uh, thank you to Jane. Thank you to Tori. And yes, indeed, Carol Ann Waugh did needlepoint an entire couch. I had exactly the same reaction when she talked about that. Thank you to June, who she said she dies in her bathroom. So I don't want to hear anyone say, I would do hand dyeing, but I don't have the space. You just got to talk to June. She's got it worked out. Daisy, uh, I think the way that I die sounds a whole lot simpler than the dying you've done. So certainly you could do what I've done if you've been successful at your method. Um, and I will probably be talking to you whenever I get to playing with yarns, which I really do want to do fairly soon. And we have actually we've got like an alpaca farm somewhere in our area. So I might even be able to get some really cool raw material kind of thing, which again brings me back to the spinning. And I really don't need another thing to do anyway. OK, back to Noni who is a serious enabler, by the way. I've put her under strict instructions to stop tweeting about Craftsy class sales because I am far too weak. She talked me into another couple this summer. Um, and thank you to Quil Quirky Quilter, who is planning on doing some dyeing using natural dyes from plants and such. I want an update from you because that comment was a couple of weeks ago, and I'm sure there's been some more stuff. Um, a few e uh, comments and emails I did want to specifically respond to. Lauren asked if I was keeping detailed notes about what I mix in what proportion, how I prepare the cloth, etc. Um, in response to my Sedona series blog post. Um, and yes, I do. In this case, anyway, sometimes I just decide just for fun, I'm just going to go down and kind of throw caution to the wind and start mixing and scratching, <laughs> as they say, um, and just see what I come up with. But in that case, with the Sedona series, it wasn't that I took notes about what I was doing. I actually wrote out ahead of time what I wanted to do. Um, I don't make notes so much on how I prepare the cloth because right now I'm only doing one type of method. Um, but I do keep those kinds of notes. However, there have been some professional hand dyers who have said they don't keep those kinds of notes because whenever you try to recreate the same color, you don't actually come up with exactly the same thing because there are so many variables, even down to the temperature in the room at the time. That being said, you can at least come close. Um, so yes, I did keep notes. I don't, however, the other thing Lauren said is she uh, read suggesting an artist sketchbook in which you can put a spot of the dye directly on the paper along with your notes and a swatch of the finished product. I don't splotch spots of dye on my notebook, at least not intentionally. <laughs> there are splotches there, but they were not planned splotches. Um, but in any case, I don't do that for a couple of reasons. One, because it would like soak through to the next page, unless you had a very particular kind of notebook paper. Um, but also that splotch wouldn't look like anything like the finished result. Because again, there's too many variables in terms of the fabric you're using and how it's prepared and how long it's in there, et cetera, et cetera. I do, I am going to be doing some swatching. The The thing that stopped me is I was, I was all gung-ho to start making myself swatches. But what I want to do rather than taping them into a notebook page, is I want to put them on a ring um, in, so that I can kind of flip through them physically. And so I need to put a, um, oh, what's it called? Grommet in the corner of the squatch so I can swatch, <laughs> squatch, that sounds like a Sasquatch, um, that I can, I can grommet the corner of a swatch and then label the swatch and then hang them on like a big three ring binder style bi uh, ring in my dye studio for very fast reference. Um, that's what I really want to do. Unfortunately, the grommet tool thingy that I have, which was meant for scrapbookers, I bought it to use with fabric. It does not work. Oh my word, I'm so ticked. I tried it the other day, doesn't work. Unfortunately, now it's been sitting on my shelf for so long, I have no receipts, I have no way of returning it. So I'm stuck with it. I'm sure it works great for certain kinds of things. It does not work with fabric. So I'm going to have to go back to the, uh, you know, the kind of the old school grommet thing where you hammer stuff with. Anyway, I have to figure that out. I haven't actually grommeted a lot. So if any of you have grommeted fabric, I think Jay, maybe you've done some. Um, let me know what tool you actually use and what size I need, because that's the other thing is trying to figure out what size I need when I'm just looking at something on the internet is hard to know. Um, so yes, I am 
keeping all of that kind of stuff, um, but I'm still working on what is the best system for keeping notes. Uh, side note, by the way, it does not help to code your fabric by writing on it with a black Sharpie in the corner prior to dyeing it, which is something I actually got out of one of my dye books. That's something that somebody supposedly does. I have not been successful with that because one, it tends to slip into the dye bath, which then either um, the color I'm dyeing it is so dark you can't read the code in the Sharpie anymore through it, which is what mostly happens, or two, the dye from the Sharpie, actually, the ink from the Sharpie actually breaks and becomes all these different colors in the in the corner. And so again, you can't read the code, and then I'm concerned it's actually affected the dye. Um, so you're supposed to be able to use that, you know, and this is why I've, maybe in some pictures you've seen, I put a clothespin uh, over where I've written the code and then try to hang it out the side of the dye bath, but that dye still creeps up. It, it's just, it's not the best method. I need to come up with something else. So anyway, I'm still kind of fine-tuning my organizational methods. Um, I heard from Sandy in Florida, who is new, so hello, and she asked, uh, I said I mentioned I'd like to design my quilts, and she asked if I used a particular software. Um, Yeah, I use EQ7, but I only use that for if I'm using like a traditional block and I want to see how it works. The other thing I use it for is um, if I'm scanning my own fabric, which I love to do, so I can actually put fabric from my stash, scan it into EQ7, and use that in the design so I can actually see how are my fabrics really going to work. And then I can also design something specifically to how much fabric I actually have, um, which is very important as well. So I've done that a few times. I do not use it when I'm doing my art quilts, obviously, um, because those are just sort of you design as you go. Um, And I have not gotten good enough yet at EQ7 to figure out how to draw my own blocks or to draw applique designs and stuff. I've, I've taken... Um, I took a quilt university class a couple of years ago now before Craftsy came along um, on EQ7, which or on EQ6 at that point, I think, which was very helpful, by the way. Um, and Craftsy has not yet done any classes in EQ. Quilt University did have some classes in EQ. I think I read something that e- uh, Quilt University is shutting down somewhere, but you might want to check it out quilt, uh, quickly. It's just quiltuniversity.com. If they are still up and running, if they have an EQ class going, you might want to take it. Um, That's my quilt software of choice. There are, of course, others, but that's the one I use and like. Um, Okay, person whose screen name I cannot pronounce, BJO Liz, uh, had said that she has done snow dyeing and squirted liquid dye on top of the ice and it turned out well. It was lighter than she had predicted, but she learned how to use more of a concentrated solution because the snow dilutes the dye. Um, and yes, I've seen that method as well. Um, I prefer to use the powdered one only because, again, because of the dilution and trying to figure out how concentrated your dye needs to be in order for it to not be too diluted by the time it's done. Um, but again, this is not a method I would necessarily use a lot. I do think, as I've been thinking about the ice ice dyeing method since, I've come up with some ways I can tweak the process a little bit. Um, and one, I can actually do it in my basement, so I'm not dealing with wind, but, um, some little things I think, uh, I think I can do that'll make it work a little bit more consistently better for me. So I'm not saying I'm never going to ice die again. It's just not a huge, um, it's not something that's going to be a regular ongoing thing for me. Uh, Margaret commented that hand dyeing does indeed teach us a great deal about color. And she said she took a couple of years worth of watercolor lessons, beginners naturally, to help learn about color and color mixing. It has helped her a great deal with respect to fabric dyes, paints, and even water-soluble pencils like ink tents. Um, And she said on a limited budget, she generally invests in the three primaries and goes from there. And, And that's what I've been trying to do is not buy a whole lot of dyes, but try to figure out how to get what I want from the dyes I've already got. I have, I mean, that being said, I have bought a couple that I think I'll be dyeing a lot of and just wanted kind of easy, consistent results. Um, But it does, that's my favorite thing about hand dyeing is I am learning so much about color. Melanie um, asked on my, uh, when I commented about machine binding, she wanted to know if I had a binding foot to do binding by machine, and I don't. Um, I have a Janome 6600, which has a built-in AccuFeed system, which is basically a built-in walking foot system, but it's got different um, feet that you can get with it. And I just use my quarter-inch foot uh, to do it. I do not have 
you know, at one point, I think I did try one of those binding feet and I found it was just a real pill to work with and I didn't like doing it. Um, so I just use a regular foot. So that's, you know, Melanie, I think you can do machine binding without a machine binding foot. So save yourself the $300 that you would have to pay for Bernina's. I do know Janome feet are not that expensive. So um, Susan, I, I wanted to share Susan's comment because I love this and I think I'm going to write it down and put it over my cutting table. Uh, she says, uh, this was in response to my interview with Jane Dunnewald, which was back in June. Great interview. Got to go listen to it if you haven't. Uh, she said, how delightful and inspiring listening to this podcast has been for me. I would like to share that when I worked as an art in education teacher, I would tell children about the mean voice they would hear in their head when doing something new. I told them to say, go away, mean voice, go away. I want to have fun today. Over the many years I've spent creating, I've found it necessary to use this phrase myself. I, <laughs> I love that. I love it and I want to write it down. Go away, mean voice. Go away. I want to have fun today. So I think that's going to become my new mantra, Susan. Thank you so much for sharing that. So that is it for this episode. That's quite enough because, man, we're over an hour. So I want to say thank you again to everybody for listening. Um, should be able to get back into a, a regular routine again now and have a lot more quilty to be talking about. Um, and I'm not traveling, so you won't have to hear any more traveling horror stories for a while. So um, you can be in touch with me so many different ways. You can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com, sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You can follow my blog. You can follow me on Twitter, Pinterest, Goodreads, and Facebook, and um, Flickr. I am Sandy Quilts in all of those places except Facebook. I'm just me. And you can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us group in Flickr, and you can like the Quilting for the Rest of Us group on Facebook, and you can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Kiva team and do good all through the world. And you can do all of those things and find all of those things at the show notes for this podcast at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. And for this episode, that's it. So until the next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. Thank you.